for this series, uh, Pastor Beck last week spoke brilliantly about worship and about the, I think she was, if you could summarize it in my mind, is about the posture of worship. That we can be like kids, we can be undignified in our worship because we want to receive from our God. We want to get into our Father's presence. And I think that that's such a brilliant, important message for us. But today, um, I, I want to continue uh, talking about worship. And, and last week, a few of us were talking about how it felt like there was a bit of a shift in the atmosphere, in the way that we worship. And I hope that today we continue with that because I think that worship is a central and important part of our church. One of our core values that we've just articulated is that lift is a place where Jesus is lifted high, and that is so important to us. And so with that in mind, today's message I've titled, God Loves Camping. I know it doesn't sound like anything that I just said, but let's go with it. Exodus 33 verses 7 to 11, this is what it says. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud, representing God's presence, would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, and all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Now, Full disclosure, I am not a camping person. Uh, I spent two years in the Singapore Army, and um, my posting was as a reconnaissance trooper, as they called us, and uh, our little team of five would be in the jungle during all these exercises, and we would spend multiple nights in the jungle camping. Not really, but camping. And uh, it, it was like, I, after two years, this is what I've got to say. There is a reason why Humanity has created houses, toilets, doors, and beds, and showers. And when you spend a few days uh, without showers um, in the jungle, um, there's a certain aura around you that takes a while to wash off. Let's just put it that way. So I've done the camping thing, and I don't like it. I think I, I probably would enjoy glamping, um, uh, but camping, I, I kind of get it maybe for like three hours, uh, but, but not so much multiple days. Um, I know some people are thinking that I'm soft. Well, you do two years in the army first, and then we will see um, who's tough. But, <laughs> but you know, one of the things that I learned in two years of being in the jungle is that when there is no artificial light, uh, when there is uh, no, no television, there's no, well, I went in the army a long time ago, uh, internet was not a thing, streaming services was not a thing, and so when night fell uh, uh, in, in, during this, this exercise, uh, it would be kind of dark, and there wouldn't be much to do. We, we wouldn't really try to make any inroads in our mission, we would just kind of camp and get ready to sleep, and it was during those moments that we would just talk. 
because there was nothing else to do. And so five of us would just sit around in a bit of a circle, kind of getting ready to doze off at some point. And we would talk about our lives. We would talk about, you know, our families. We would talk about our dreams. Uh, very often, probably our 50% of the conversation was about what food we would get after this exercise. And it was split between KFC and dim sum. That was just kind of who we were. We wanted as much grease as we could get into us after three days in um, the jungle with nothing but army rations, which were absolutely uh, horrendous. But that was the life that we had. But, you know, I don't enjoy uh, that kind of roughing it out for multiple nights. But, you know, one of the things that I do recall with fondness are my friends and the people that I got to spend time with, the people that I got to experience that with. And, and you know, one of my army uh, uh, teammates actually migrated to Perth a number of years ago, and I reached out to him. And this was after we had uh, finished off maybe about 10 plus years ago, and so we had no contact. Uh, we hadn't really done much together. But when we were in the army, we were really close because we were in this team and we did everything together. Um, and I reached out to him, and... To my somewhat surprise, he didn't really want to catch up. And I was thinking about that. I was like, come on, man. Like, we, were, we smelled each other's auras for like two years. Like, I know things about you that your wife might not even know. And I have these things that we did. But, you know, I, 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 I discovered something. I hadn't gone camping with this guy for 10 years. I hadn't spent any time whatsoever with him for a decade and the level of relationship that we had when we were seeing each other every single day, where we were spending time with each other, where we were sharing about our hopes and our dreams, those were in the past and our present relationship did not have that at all. And I mean, another thing about this, guys, that we have completely different personalities. Like, I think a part of it is that we were great mates because we had to be great mates. We were in this jungle and we had relied on each other to get the job done, whereas in our current lives, I don't need you and you don't need me. There was nothing that we were relying on each other for and there was no relationship. And I wonder whether, when I titled this message, God Loves Camping, is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I wonder how much time we actually spend with God. I wonder if we share with God our hopes and our dreams, or we meet up with Him every now and then. And it brings me to this very story that I, was, that, that I read out from Exodus 33, where Moses would set up this tent. Now, a few things that you need to know about this. This wasn't, as some of you might know, there was a later tabernacle that God instructed the Israelites to build, which was, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the big tent that represented His presence. This was before then. And Moses would just get any ordinary tent, and he would pitch it outside of uh, the, the normal camp, and he just called it the tent of meeting. It was a place of meeting. Meeting who? Meeting God. And when I was reading this this week, something that stood out to me is that in, I think it's verse 8, it says, and everyone, everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Anyone and everyone could use this tent of meeting. Anyone and everyone could meet with God. And that is actually somewhat mind-blowing for me because I used to think that in the Old Testament, only the chosen frozen was allowed to meet with God. That was not for everyone. But when I saw this, 
it's clear that the intention of the tent of meeting wasn't just for Moses. It was for anyone and everyone that wanted to meet with God. However, the rest of the story seems to indicate that only Moses really used this tent. Only Moses would go to this tent. Or only Moses would approach this tent and something would happen. Because when he went there, the presence of the God, of, of the God, the presence of God fell and Moses would speak with God face to face. And it kind of makes me wonder how many of us have carved out a space that we, it doesn't have to be sacred in the sense of like, it's not blessed, it wasn't a blessed tent, it wasn't crafted by the rabbis or the priest of the Middle East, it was a tent. And Moses would regularly, I would expect, just meet with God. How often do you meet with God? Do you just meet with God when it's convenient for you? Do you meet with God regularly? Do you have a time? Do you have a place? Do you have a, a rhythm in your life where meeting with God is actually so significant that it becomes sacred even though it wasn't set up to be sacred? You know, Moses meets with God in this tent. It had such an impact or was so visible that the rest of the Israelites would actually be at their own tents, worshipping from afar, because they saw that something was going on. And when I read this, something stirs up in me, because I wonder if I've met with God enough so that wherever I go, people kind of go, oh, there's something different. I spoke about an aura that I had in the jungle. I want an aura that I have because I've been meeting with God. I want to look and smell and, and, and be different to the point where other people might not have met with God yet, but when they see me, they go, oh, there is something different about that. I believe that that is available for every single one of us. This tent wasn't a tabernacle, it wasn't a temple, there were no sacrifices that took place there. It was set up for anyone and everyone to meet with God. But there's something extremely interesting about this particular passage, not so much in, I've already described certain things that I thought have been cool, but there's something that this week as I was unpacking it that is actually quite extraordinary. See, if we look at that passage, what do you think is the context of this little um, uh, a story? You know, if I was to look at that and think about, oh, Moses and the tent of meeting, I would place that story in the middle of the narrative that was describing the everyday life of the camp of Israel, right? It's like the Israelites would do this, the Israelites would do that, and Moses had this tent and he would go meet with God, and that's how they kind of got around their everyday life, yeah? That's kind of that's what would make sense. That's not where this story is. In fact, this story is smack bang in the anticlimactic middle of one of the saddest stories of the Old Testament. It's really weird. Let me give you the context of uh, this particular story. In Exodus 30, 
30-ish, uh, we find Moses uh, going up Mount Sinai. And uh, why that's, that's, that's significant is because Israel had been freed from Egypt, from slavery a while ago, and they were traveling through the wilderness. I think it's only been about 40 days, and they got to Mount Sinai. And they got to Mount Sinai for a very specific reason, and that was for Moses to meet with God and to receive, anyone knows? The Ten Commandments. This was a very significant point in Israel's journey. Receiving the Ten Commandments wasn't about receiving a bunch of rules. It was about signing a covenant with God. And recently I found out that if we understand the whole of the Old Testament as the story of the covenant, it would make a lot more sense. It's the story of how God wanted to seal and to have this covenantal relationship with the Israelites. What does covenant mean? It basically would be like a wedding vow. It's saying, till death do us part, these are the things that I will do and these are the things that you will do. And that's why during marriage ceremonies, it's not just about me saying, I love you, do you love me? Yes, you do, off we go. No, you say, in sickness and in health, in, in all sorts of situations, in the highs and lows of life, I promise, I vow to stand beside you. And that is the kind of relationship God wants with His people. And so when Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments, what was going on was that God was saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. You will serve me and I will, very interestingly, serve you. I will look after your interests, but you also need to know that this is meant to be an exclusive relationship. And so as Moses was up on Mount Sinai, what was going on down at the bottom of uh, the mountain? the Israelites were building something called the golden calf. The golden calf was an idol. And the sad thing about this story is that while the wedding vows were still being written, it was already being broken. And that's why I call it one of the saddest stories because the Israelites knew that they were rescued from slavery by God. They were led through the wilderness miraculously by God. And as they waited for Moses to come down with the covenant, they decided that it would be more convenient to have a God that wasn't so scary. They wanted a God that they could create an image of. Now, one thing that I think is really important for us to note is that the Israelites weren't necessarily wanting another God, but they were wanting to be like the other people that were surrounding them. Because in the ancient Near East, idols weren't so much about this idol is my God, uh, but what they believed is that when they created this image, that God would imbue Himself or herself into this idol, and therefore it would actually be a representative of God. And so what the Israelites were wanting to do was not so much have a different God, but they were wanting to say, God, I don't like how scary you are up on that mountain. I want you here in this golden calf so that I can worship you the way that I like. That, were what, that was what was going on. But they were breaking the covenant, and so God was obviously really angry because they had already broken their vow to only worship God because God said, I don't live in golden calves. 
Uh, uh, you, you can't contain me. It was kind of like, if you, if you kind of think about it, it's almost a little bit like the, the magic lamp. They wanted to contain God in this golden calf. They wanted to be able to worship this golden calf and get whatever they want out of this golden calf. And God was saying, that's not the kind of relationship I have with you. And so God uh, um, gives a, a consequence to the people. A whole ton of people die. And... Um, and so we pick it up in Exodus 33. So God's really, really angry. And we see in Exodus 33, verses 1 to 3, which is just before this passage about the tent of meeting. Let me read it out to you. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people." This is a really interesting passage because God was saying, you guys don't get it, but I'm still going to fulfill my part of the covenant. Now, when people say that the God of the Old Testament is this vengeful, crazy God, they don't understand how the covenant works. The Israelites broke the covenant time and time again, but God always showed grace. And His grace in this moment was saying, hey, I am still going to give you this land. I'm going to send out an angel, and theologians say an angel, when it's so specific, it's kind of like, it's kind of like an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. It's basically saying that you know, I'm creating this path for you to walk into blessing. Note that God didn't say, I'm going to drive out this land, but I'm going to make it a waste because you guys are rubbish and you deserve this wasteland. No, he said, I'm bringing you into this land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give you all of this stuff, but I'm not going to go with you. The covenant stops there. The covenant is that you've broken it, but I'm still going to bless you, but then I'm out. That's what God was saying in Exodus 33 verses 1 to 3. And I just want to put before us, how many of us would be happy with that kind of relationship with God? Where I don't need to worry about my relationship with Him. I get the blessing, and then off I go. Each to our own way. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. I saw this stand-up comedian. He did a thing about atheists. And I just thought it was really funny, but hard-hitting at the same time. He said, <laughs> I might get in trouble for this, but he said that, there are more white people that are atheistic than any other um, races because atheism is the height of white supremacy. And that's what he said. It was kind of interesting. And he said, you know why? Because religion basically says, um, do you want to know what happens to you in the afterlife? And atheists would go, nope. I'm happy with this. <laughs> I'm happy with my lot. I'll just keep eating my supplements and see what happens. I'll keep going on my holidays and I'll keep living in my nice house with my nice car. I don't need God. I wonder how many of us call ourselves Christians, but we're basically believing and living out Exodus 33 verses 1 to 3. You've given me the promised land. I don't need your presence anymore. I don't need to go camping with you, God, because camping is too difficult. I'd rather live in the tent 
Let's send the pastor to the tent of meeting and I'll just worship conveniently at the door of my tent. How do we, how do we, how do we approach Exodus 33, 1 and 3? And for all the faults of the Israelites, they actually did not agree to that new statement. They actually said, no, God, if you don't go with us, we are not departing. We're not going to the promised land. If God said that I'm not giving you the blessing, would you stay where you are in order to keep in relationship with God? Or do you follow God based on how blessed or how much blessing He is giving to you? Because God is not just the God of our blessing. God is also the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Yes, He desires to be in relationship with you, not to bless you because you are so precious, but He chooses to bless you because He is so gracious. And do we understand that when He says, fine, you get the blessing, but you don't get my presence, we recognize that that is not actually much of a blessing at all. That job, that vacation, that relationship, that money, that house, that vacation, that lifestyle is not worth it without God. And the Israelites got it. And let me just have a little aside here and say that what happens in Exodus 33 verses 4 to 6 is that the Israelites actually took off all of their ornaments and they began to mourn and weep. And one theologian puts it this way, another thing we learn from Israel's ornamentation is the spiritual power of money. We can trace the people's spiritual progress simply by looking at what they did with their gold. Earlier, they took off the earrings to make the golden calf, using their wealth to turn away from God. This time, they were taking off the rest of their jewelry as a sign that they wanted to worship God alone. They were putting off idolatry. Later, they would use the same gold to build a tabernacle. Clearly, the Israelites were making some spiritual progress. Rather than using their wealth to make idols, they were learning to give it up for God and use it for His glory. We see a turn and we see a switch. And so the Israelites begin to mourn. And the story then takes this weird turn because it stops. We don't know at that point in the story what God does with the Israelites' repentance. We don't know whether God goes, nah, I'm done. I mean, some of us know because we kind of read through the story, but when we, if we are reading this with fresh eyes for the first time, the story kind of is it's like a Christopher Nolan story. It kind of goes there and then suddenly it goes flashback and then it's like, but what happened there? It's really annoying. The Israelites were repentant, and Moses had this tent that he used to go to to meet with God. It was like, what? what? Why are you bringing up the tent now? And some scholars actually go so far as to say that they think that there was an error in where this story was placed because of how jarring it is in the narrative. It's kind of like, you know, a following idolatry being punished by God, being told that God's not going to go with them, repentance, tent of meeting. <laughs> What's going on here? You know, as I looked into this at first, I was like, God, I don't get this, this weird shift. But then over time, as I sat with it, I actually think that, that it's intended to be exactly in this spot. Let me show you why. 
because the writer of the book of Exodus is likely uh, someone who edited and collated all of Moses' stories, saw that the issue of the golden calf and idolatry was the lack of relationship that the people had with God. There was a tent of meeting that was available for all of them. There was a tent of meeting that even if Moses was up on the mountain, Aaron was still there. Aaron could have still gone to the tent of meeting and met with God and found out what to do. No, no, no. Aaron decided to make a golden calf. The tent of meeting was there all along. But people didn't want a relationship with God. They only wanted the effects of God. And so we are left here in this moment. Are we going to worship God for who He is, or are we going to worship God for what He can do for us? Do we worship because we simply want the good things that God gives us? Now, hear me out. I'm not saying that God doesn't do good things for us. In fact, there is a whole psalm that is dedicated to remembering all of God's benefits. Praise the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all His benefits. He gives me life. He gives me breath. He, gives, he provides everything that I need. There are psalms that are dedicated to the goodness of God. But at the heart of the matter, I put forward to you that our worship cannot just be about what we want or what we need, but it's about meeting with God. Recently, a few months ago, I, I, I recognized that ever since having a kid, um, my routines have been whacked out, and it's taken me a number of years to rediscover a bit of a routine in my life uh, in meeting with God. And so I, I reinstituted something. I woke up earlier than the rest of the family, but Sam beats me about 80% of the time. But he stays in his room, and I read my Bible, and I pray. And as I reinstituted this, and I would spend about 20 minutes, uh, 10 minutes reading the Bible and 10 minutes praying, I discovered that 10 minutes of praying, uh, I was like, okay, so what do I want to do with this time? And I was like, oh, you know what, this is probably the best time for me to have my, um, uh, my laundry list of things to, to be working through. So God, I want to pray for this, I want to pray for that. And I did that for a few days, and then I started to realize that I was bored. It was boring. I'll bring the same request. Me here, God. That person is still a pain in the butt. <laughs> Joking. And I, we need breakthrough here. We need that. Come on, God. When are you going to come through in that way? Come on. You said that you will bless us. Where's the blessing? Day three. Yes, God. Me again. And I, same issues. Same things we need prayer for. That person hasn't received their healing yet. Come on, what are you up to? Snap, snap, get to it, God. I was bored. It was boring. It was like, come on, there must be more than me just repeating a list of things that I want God to do. And I realized that a part of it is that I set this time up to meet with God, and all I was doing was like dumping stuff, and maybe God wanted to meet with me too. Maybe God would be there. And so I decided to try something extremely revolutionary. So revolutionary, I'll probably trademark it and you're going to have to pay me to do the same thing. But I closed my eyes and I opened my hands 
And I just say, God, I want to meet with you. And I just shut up. If I got a bit distracted, I stood up. I put my hands out. I said, God, I'm here. And I met with God. And I realized that sometimes I want, want God to be doing stuff. But I wasn't willing just to be with God. I wanted the promise of the promised land, but I didn't really like the tent of meeting, or I didn't have a discipline. I, it's not that I didn't like the tent of meeting, it's just kind of more like, come on, God, I've only got 10 minutes, let's get through this. We've got things that we need to do. You're a busy God. Six billion people ain't counting. No, no. God's got time for you. Do you have time for God? I think that we see in Jesus' life the same kind of rhythm. He does all this ministry. He does all these great things. But it says that he would retreat to a quiet place. He would retreat from all the things that he needed to do, all the things that needed to be accomplished, and he would meet with his Father. If Jesus flippin' needed to meet with the Father, why do we think that we just need to bring our laundry list to God and off we go? I'm good, you're good. That is practical atheism because we don't really believe that God is alive. We don't really believe that God is here. We don't really believe that God wants to meet with me. We don't really believe that God actually loves me and wants to have a relationship with me. No relationship is built with you giving a laundry list to someone else to do. And with that in mind as well, flip, if we just give God tasks to do, do we think that we are God's boss? I don't get to give a list of things for Beck to do even. I don't, like even with people that volunteer in this church, I don't just give you a list of things and say, off you go. I actually have to love you and check in with you. And if I have to do that with people, why do I think I can go to God and say, God, me again, here's the things that you need to do. Make sure you do them. I'm coming back tomorrow to check in. Where's your tent of meeting? What's your tent of meeting look like? You know, the other thing about this whole story is that what happens after this little story about the tent of meeting is also extremely significant. You see, we were left hanging about what God was going to do, right? And then after we have this story about the tent of meeting, what we next have is that Moses begins to intercede for the people of Israel. Before God, he comes to God and he says, God, don't do this. You're going to, uh, uh, please don't do this. Don't, you're you're going to regret this. This is not the right thing to do. It's kind of weird because Moses is actually kind of somewhat speaking to God in a way that was like probably quite scary and, and, and quite a, it, it was a very respectful tone, but the thought that you would speak to God and, and tell God, how to do things was a little bit out there. But I think the whole point is that Moses could speak to God in that way because he spent time with God every other day. Some of us want to be able to intercede and see things happen, but we haven't been at a tent of meeting. We want to see the breakthroughs and we want to see um, God move in the ways that, that we would like Him to, but then we don't spend time thinking and hearing what He wants to do. We don't have a, a covenant relationship with God. We have this weird one-way street. 
And so I think this story was placed in the middle to show us that Moses' intercession wasn't something that was unique. It was something that was born out of a relationship that he already had with God. And I want to prove this to you in Exodus 33, verse 17. And it says, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And I know you by name. And then Moses does this. He's weird, man. He doesn't say, thanks, God, that's awesome. What does he say next? He says, God, please show me your glory. I was like, wrong moment, bro. Like, come on. God just went from like, I'm going to desert the people and leave them to their own devices. And you prayed and God said, you should be like, awesome. Thanks, God. But he went, no, no, no. God, show me your glory. I, I sat with that and I wondered what was going on. And I think this is it. Moses actually realized that he had a level of intimacy with God, whereby God called him friend. And in that moment, Moses was not even that interested about what was going on for the Israelites. He was like, I'm God's friend. Well, let's take this deeper than God. Show me your glory. Moses was so invested in his relationship with God that in this moment where he had interceded successfully for the people of Israel, he was still thinking about his relationship with God, about what he had been revealed, what God had revealed to him, what was going on between him and God. I want to be that caught up about God's presence. I want to be that caught up about God's glory. I want to be that caught up about His presence in my everyday life that, that, I'm st- that I recognize when God is revealing something significant about Himself. I want to be more caught up with what, well, who God is than what He does. Even though what He does is spectacular, who He is is even more spectacular So let me just put forward to you, there are many people in this room, and I know that you have a heart to see God move in spectacular ways in our community, and thank God for people like you who desire to see God's kingdom on earth like we just sang. But are you willing to go camping with God? Is the camping times that allow us to have the intercession times? Is the meeting place times that allow us to have, if you will, those negotiation moments? It is the times that we have with God that allows us to actually change the course of history. So what kind of camping are you doing with God? Every single day there are moments where you get to worship. And then once a week on a Sunday morning, we come together and we sing a few songs. Every Sunday morning, we average about 25 minutes of worship. I said this series is a little bit different and I was speaking in the middle of it. But if you turn up 10 minutes late, you've lost about 40% of your worship time together with the rest of the church. I'm not saying this to condemn you, I want us to just have this shift in our approach to our worship and our meeting with God. See, this message is meant to help you with your relationship with God, but you're not right now, besides listening and listening very well, thank you very much, 
but you're not really doing anything else. But we set aside about a third of our Sunday morning for us to actually be active in our worship towards God. So maybe we should prioritize that. Maybe we should get our kids here nice and early. You know, the kids' team is ready to check people in 15 minutes before the gathering so that, so that we can worship God together. Next year, we don't, we're not planning this, but the following year, we're planning to actually go on a church camp and get away and spend time together as a church family, but also worship and receive. It's going to be an investment. You're going to have to take leave. Are you going to do it? When you wake up tomorrow morning, what time in the day do you have to meet with God? Not to give Him your laundry list. And look, God's got no problem with things that we need Him to do. There's no problem. Psalms full of them. But do you have times when you meet with God? Because it wasn't the first time Moses met face to face with God. He did it regularly. Some of you are blown away that God wants to meet with you. Some of you have no idea what that feels like, what that looks like, what that is like. And that's why every Sunday morning we get together and we all worship together and we all meet with God together. And this is meant to be a part of the example that we set for people that are wanting to know what a relationship with God is supposed to be like. And so when we come together, those who actually regularly meet with God can I just put forward that maybe we need to exemplify just shutting the rest of the world away and going, God, I'm meeting with you and I'm going to worship you. Like what Pastor Beck said about last week, when we worship God, why not raise your hands? Because the Bible says it. It's not that Pentecostal church down the road. It's not about that, that wacko people that are so loose and free. No, it's not about that. It's about the fact that when we, using our bodies, using our every single part of us worshiping God, there is something significant that happens then. So give it a go, Christian. Let's raise a joyful sound toward the Lord. Why? Because the Bible says so. And when we do so, do it with a heart that says, God, I just want to love you. I'm not here to make you do stuff. I'm here to love you. And in the midst of that, I love that the Bible promises, I love that God promises that whoever draws near to me, I'm drawing near to you. Can you imagine what this church would be like if all of us had that kind of camping mentality like Moses did? I, 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 I'm excited to know how God's going to move in your lives, in our lives, as together we place God as a priority. You know, we, we, we plan holidays months out in advance. We plan holidays for all these things that we're going to do months in advance. I'm the same. When was the last time you planned to put time aside for God? When was the last time you planned to even just shut out the rest of things away in order to meet with God? You know, one of the things about the tent of meeting is that soon after this episode, God gave them the plans for the tabernacle that no longer existed outside of the camp, but in the middle of the camp. 
And after that point, we do see other times that God does miraculous stuff in the temple. But it's not so much the location that mattered, it was about the heart that mattered more. It's not about literally going out, but it's about the, it's about the sense of like, am I going to actually meet with God? So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to have another 15 minutes of worship or more. If God rocks up and He wants to do stuff, I, I would love Him to. So can we get the band up? But this morning, can I put forward to you that God desires a covenantal relationship with each and every single one of us. God desires a relationship with you that goes beyond the things that you need and the things that, 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 that need to happen. And, and it goes to this place of just actually wanting to be in relationship with you. If you've never heard about that before, let me say that Christmas is a great time to have this revelation. That God loved us so much that He would leave heaven in order to be here with us, in order that we can have relationship with Him. That is the trajectory of the whole Bible. God created humanity to love humanity, to be in relationship with humanity. What did humanity do? Humanity chose to sin. Humanity cho chose to have more of this self-awareness that led to this uh, drifting away from God. And the rest of the Bible story is about how God pursues and God pursues and God pursues. He gets to this place where he's going, I need to destroy the barrier between me and my people. And the only way to do so is by sacrifice. So what does he do? He comes to earth as a man, Jesus Christ. He dies on the cross and shatters the power of sin so that you and I can be made righteous and can be in relationship with God once again. If that is not proof enough for you, then maybe this morning just say, God, give me a revelation of your love for me. Give me a revelation of this relationship you want with me. Come on, let's stand, church. We're going about to worship. Let me just pray. God, I pray that we will be so captured by your presence, so captured by all that you are, so captured by all that you already have done. God, we don't want your promises if it doesn't come with your presence. God, we don't want a blessing if it doesn't come with your presence. God, we are here for you and we want to meet with you, God. So meet with us this morning, Jesus. Meet with us in this moment. Thank you, God. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.